Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Okay, family loans versus gifts versus forgiven loans. Big deal in family law. Why is it such a big deal in family law? Because people have to understand that at the end of a marriage, Ontario law provides that the net worth that has accumulated during marriage is to be equalized with their spouse. Or to put it another way, if the family grew by $100,000 and it's all in one person's name, that growth needs to be shared with the other person. Along comes the subject of debts. And debts reduce the net worth. And if you reduce the net worth, you reduce what you share with your spouse. Well, it's very difficult to convince CIBC to manufacture a debt at the date of separation. They won't do it. But it is possible for money that was transferred by parents-in-law to their child to then later say that was a loan and it's now owed to me. And then of course, there's this whole subject called evidence, which we'll get to in a few moments, but by declaring that there was a loan owed by the parents to the spouse, that now is potentially a reduction of the net worth and therefore a reduction of what one spouse would owe the other one as part of their support, excuse me, as part of their separation and divorce equalization payment. And that is the subject of today. And so Leanne, you've had experience with family loans. Give us one story of your many. Yes, I, it is an issue that comes up a lot. Um, sometimes it comes up because parents have legitimately, you know, loaned uh, their child uh, money um, and they want to be repaid and it is a, it really was a loan. And sometimes it comes up because it was potentially a gift, but, you know, the marriage didn't work out. So the parents are loath to see um, you know, that money is somehow the other party benefiting from it and whatnot. So I've, I've had it come up particularly in the context of matrimonial home, although I have had it come up in other contexts um, where uh, parents loaned uh, money towards a down payment on the matrimonial home or loan, you know, loan money towards the purchase of the matrimonial home. Uh, and then down the road when the party separated, um, parents wanted their money back. Um, and, um, you know, as you touched upon a few minutes ago, Steve, all, all of this is obviously very evidence specific. You can't just, you know, you can say loan or gift, but if it's in contention, you're going to have to offer evidence to prove what you're saying. And, and especially with respect to the claim of a loan, um, you're going to be asked to produce evidence that's going to back up that it's a loan. For example, some sort of written agreement or contract saying that it is a loan and that, you know, there's going to be interest payments or that, you know, and some of these payments have been made. And so in a case that I had, um, the parents who did loan the money, 
they actually did have uh, a document drawn up at the time um, and that it was done by lawyers and it was well reasonably well done so when the other party so that these were the, the the wife's parents so when the husband decided to say that it was a gift um, he had a harder go of it because the parents were able to rely on this contract or agreement that they'd drawn up. Um, and because it was done properly, they were able to get the money back. But if they hadn't, you know, if they just had verbally said we're loaning, uh, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get to the evidence in a moment, but I'm going to share with you a story. I had a two week trial, actually eight day trial. Um, that ended last Friday. Um, and actually, we just filed a, an additional closing submission yesterday. And it was really all about a family loan. And it was a situation where the parents both gifted and loaned money to my client. So when I say parents, I'm referring to effectively the grandparents. So the, there's the children, then there's my client, which is the father, and then there's the client's parents. So let's call them the grandparents. So the grandparents loan my client $130,000 to buy the first home, which then was replaced by the matrimonial home. They also gave him $200,000 of a gift. And so the argument was, was the 130 alone? Was the 330 alone? Was the whole thing a gift? And the entire trial, I would say a good 80% of it, was all about that. For those followers wondering where we get our topics from each week, <laughs> it oftentimes comes from what we're doing that moment. And so this is one of those examples where when Leanne and I discuss what's next week's topic, we then draw on our existing caseload because it's relevant and it is top of mind. Anyway, so back to my case. We spent hours litigating loan versus gift versus forgivable loan. And back to the basic principle, the more somebody's net worth is at the date of separation, the more they pay their ex-spouse. The lower the net worth at the date of separation, the less they pay their next spouse. And that is precisely why we have this litigation. And just like Leanne says, it always boils down to that funny word, evidence. So now let's ask our viewers, if you wanted to prove you owed CIBC money, what would you prove? You would first start with a loan application then you would have an approved loan application. Then you would have a loan agreement. Then you would have a loan possibly registered on title. We call that either a mortgage or a home equity line of credit um, or a secured loan. And in some cases it might be unsecured and it might just be a signed contract, possibly with a guarantor. Following that, you have an advance of money. There's got to be a change of hands with respect to the money, lender to borrower. Then you have possibly monthly repayments. And if you don't have repayments, then you have a default and potentially enforcement of the loaned amount. CIBC won't lean back and go, hey, you know what? 
you missed a couple of months, we're good. We believe that you're okay for it. Uh-uh-uh, CIBC has a collections department. They would sick them on you if you didn't pay. And what happens if it was one of those loans where there's no interest on it? Um, for example, it happens often the case with family members where they will loan money and they will claim it's an interest-free loan, but it's payable on demand. Well, if it's payable on demand, we've got this thing in Ontario called the Limitations Act. And the Limitations Act says, if there's been no acknowledgement of debt and there's been no repayment, there's been no demand, then it might expire after two or some odd number of years after the original loan advance or the demand last made. So you've got all these factors in the commercial world that establish whether it's a legitimate debt. And that sets the foundation for what we in family law have to now try to prove either to an ex-spouse or to his or her lawyer or to a mediator or an arbitrator or a judge to convince the audience that this is a legitimate debt that reduces the net worth and therefore reduces the equalization payment. And that is all evidence. And if you can't meet your onus, and that word onus, small word by the way, only four letters and actually two of them are vowels, I think. Yeah, O-N-U. So it's a really easy word, but man, is it a powerful word, because guess what? If you don't meet your onus, you don't get the deduction. If you don't get the deduction, that money is shared with your spouse. And so under section 4.3 of the Family Law Act, it specifically says you do not get that deduction unless you've met the legal onus of proof on a balance of probabilities. Again, small word, huge law, and it has a mammoth impact. And if you don't meet the onus, no deduction, no debt, you lose, share the money with your spouse. So that is a bit of a summary of the law of evidence on family loans. And here's some tidbits. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, Leanne, but judges, and I've certainly seen this often the case, judges will be very suspicious of somebody that declares that it's a loan because they know that it's got this significant value to the spouse suddenly claiming it. So is it really suddenly claiming it or has it been claimed all along? And is there evidence or is there not? And here's the kicker. Oftentimes the judge will say, were there other loans to other family members? So for example, my client has a sister and the parents testified that they loaned the same amount of money to their other child, my client's sister. Well, that increases the reliability of that evidence that it was indeed a loan because they didn't have a loan agreement and they didn't have any loan demands. And in fact, there were loan payments and this is where it gets really dicey, not documented, it was by cash, which also raises suspicions as to the reliability and credibility of the evidence. And that's why we've got to build a case and that's why I had an eight day trial on the subject. <laughs> I, I had a case um, about a year ago uh, where um, my client's ex-husband uh, claimed probably, you know, 
eight loans on his financial statement that were all from family and friends for varying amounts of money um, to basically whittle down his entire you know net worth to to zero um, to you know and he did have significant money and certainly our position he had significant money and none of these loans had any well I shouldn't say none of some of them had documentation but the documentation was very questionable it, you know it wasn't it, it was the dates were wrong or there weren't dates or you know it just it, it was a very flimsy type of document and so we were able to successfully challenge that you know there was no merit to these loans that they'd all been fabricated um you know at, at, at the time of separation um and you know i think if he'd done one or two i mean we still would have obviously wanted the the evidence for it but maybe he would have had a better chance of some success but to come up with you know eight of them um for you know large amounts of money it, it was just completely incredulous and and I Again, back to the subject of incred incredulousness or reliability or credibility, um, you know, there's many ways to prove the advance and there's many ways to prove the indebtedness. There's not one. Obviously, the best would be the advance of money, the registration of a mortgage and monthly repayments. That's a no brainer. For that, you don't need lawyers. We come in and where it doesn't meet that level of reliability. And now people are seeking to advance the claim to reduce their net worth. And in some cases, um, the test and the evidentiary requirements are met. And in some cases they're not. And oftentimes we, we don't know in advance if the judge will ultimately rule in favor of that debt or not. And in my case, after eight days of trial, we're going to wait three to six months to find out what the judge has to say about that particular one. But I can tell you this, uh, over the years, I've had many of these cases and I, I keep coming up with better and better ideas on how to prove the debt. Um, most recently on a different case um, where there wasn't really any other evidence, but the family all knew about the debt and the parents who did not loan money to the other children, they put in their will that given the loan to child one of three, that the estate upon their death would be divided equally after accounting for a reduction of XYZ dollars loaned to child one. And we had, an, we had a will with an affidavit of subscribing witness that predated the separation. And we had two witnesses who witnessed the lawyer signing with the client, i.e. the testator, the, the grandparents, that this was a, uh, a, an estate plan that involved uh, recognition of a loan by parents to one child. Well, that was really effective evidence in the absence of all other evidence and and carried the day so you know just when you think you've seen it all you come up with another technique in which to advance the evidence that you need to meet your onus yeah and I would say that you know if anyone out there listening to um, our live today or to the podcast 
you know, is a parent and they're thinking about loaning their child money, or if you're the child and your parent is thinking about loaning or gifting or, you know, whatever it might be, but particularly loaning, um, it may be a good idea to speak to a lawyer um, before it's done to make sure that it is documented properly and structured properly um, so that, you know, if the marriage doesn't work out, you don't run into this problem down the road. Because, you know, to take it to an eight-day trial like Steve just did, that's a very expensive endeavor. And so, you know, that loan has to be worth a lot of money in order to justify an eight day trial. So, you know, if you happen to loan something like, you know, 20,000 or $30,000 or something like that, the cost of going to trial to get that money back is most likely gonna be significantly, significantly more than that. So you may just be sorry out of luck even if you really did loan the money and you have you know, an evidentiary basis for it, but the other side isn't accepting it. So it's important to, you know, or to, to consult with a lawyer, get the proper documentation. And then the other thing is you could always do a marriage contract or a cohabitation agreement or something like that, where it's very clearly spelled out in that document that this money was a loan and that it, you know, it needs to be repaid upon any breakdown in the relationship. Absolutely. Very very good advice. Um, preemptive, forward planning, uh, very good advice. And, and let me just um, footnote that by saying, um, we live in a world right now where, you know, a house in Toronto, you know, a million, a million and a half, $2 million, the parents are helping. In many of these cases, the parents are, are, are fronting hundreds of thousands of dollars. And oftentimes it's not even money from husband and wife. So you're gonna have differential or potentially only one-sided help from the family. And it's not uncommon for the family to wanna protect that money in the event of divorce. And so, you know, is it a gift? Is it a loan? Is it a gift to both spouses? Is it a loan to both spouses? I mean, these are really complicated questions when 10 years later, we're trying to rewrite what the intentions were when that money was advanced originally. And so nothing beats Leanne's advice about thinking in advance. And it may very well be that the parents, the grandparents need to give, need to get their own independent legal advice on how to protect their estate. And that, that's different legal advice than what the borrower, the married spouses, have to get in order to ensure that that money does not become part of a litigation that might go eight days at the end of the day. So we hope that's been helpful to our listeners, family loans, forgivable loans, family gifts. These are all complicated parts of the equation called divorce. But um, we hope that if you are in that situation, you seek out the necessary advice to be able to plan and not find yourself um, with a significant boondoggle at the end of a marriage. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you here again next week. Bye, Bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.